There's no denying that Russia is the closest and most efficient source for Europe to depend on. So the cutting off of the Russian gas supply to Europe is no small thing. It's an amazing accomplishment by the U.S. in dominating Europe. And the beautiful thing about what the U.S. did in this case is they did it without a shot fired and they had the Europeans cut it off themselves. Hello, fellow risk taker, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. Join me. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com and sign up for my weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter, where I share how to reduce risk and create, grow, and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I want to share some research that I've been working on. The title of today's discussion is the United States just won World War 2.5, but who lost? Hmm. Remember that this is for educational purposes only. This is not investment advice or a recommendation. So let's get into this. The World War 2.5 is what I like to call it, was the U.S. against who? Well, you may say China, you may say Russia. No, those are both wrong. The U.S. against Europe. And U.S. just won. So let's look at this. The Russia-Ukraine conflict gave the U.S. an opportunity to dominate Europe. Militarily, well, almost all European countries joined NATO and the U.S. now controls NATO. Politically, well, the weakening of Germany means there's no, now no dominant power in the EU. And culturally, U.S.-Russia showdown is destabilizing Europe through immigration. Financially, all EU countries exist within the U.S. dollar framework and are unable to exit. And energy-wise, well, the U.S. has cut the flow of Russian oil and gas, which weakens Europe. So let's go into a little bit more detail about the first one of these military dominance. Basically, a chart that I found interesting was done by Al Jazeera's, and what it shows is the number of bases and the number of troops around the world of the U.S. So the U.S. has more than 60,000 troops in Europe, half of which are in Germany and a third of which are in Italy and the U.K. U.S. operates more than 200 military bases in Europe. And think about it, over the last year, we can imagine how much military presence America is building up in Europe. In fact, a lot of times people like to say that it's China or maybe Russia that's going to take over the world. But fact is, is that to me, when I look at it objectively, Russia is almost a non-issue for the U.S. Economically, Russia is tiny compared to the U.S., Militarily, Russia is tiny. The U.S. budget for military is 10 times the Russian budget. And what about politically? Well, I don't think that people around the world are saying they want to join the Russian system of political life, right? They probably would go towards the U.S. system more. So I don't see the U.S. seeing Russia as a real threat. Of course, there's the threat of nuclear war. That is the only real threat that I see from Russia. Of course, it's a huge threat. But 
China is a much bigger foe for the U.S. Now, more countries are trying to join NATO. Sweden and Finland are the two that are trying to get in now. And the fact is, is that NATO is no longer just a peaceful, defensive force. In fact, NATO membership means that Europeans participate as peacekeepers in U.S. conflicts. And when you listen to politicians talk, just think the opposite. If they say peacekeepers, you think war keepers. Think about the Kuwait-Iraq 1990 war or Bosnia and Herzegovina in 1992, the Europeans joined NATO. Kosovo in 1999, NATO was involved. Afghanistan 2003, Iraq 2004, Somalia 2009, and Libya 2011. Basically, NATO now means getting involved in military actions around the world for Europeans. Let's now talk about political dominance. And I want to repeat and show a video, and we're going to listen to what they say. But this is in 2018 when Trump raised the issue of Germany's energy dependence on Russia in this meeting with Jen Stoltenberg, which is he's the secretary general of NATO. Let's listen in to this conversation when Trump was president. But Germany is totally controlled by Russia because they will be getting from 60 to 70 percent of their energy from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate, because I think it's not. And I think it's a very bad thing for NATO. And I don't think it should have happened. And I think we have to talk to Germany about it. NATO is an alliance of 29 nations. And uh, there are sometimes differences and uh, different views and also some disagreements. And the uh, gas pipeline uh, uh, from Russia to Germany is one issue where allies uh, disagree. But the strength of NATO is that despite these differences, we have always been able to unite around our core task uh, to protect and defend each other because we understand that we are stronger together than uh, apart. Mm. But Germany, as far as I'm concerned, is captive to Russia because it's getting so much of its energy from Russia. Mm. So we're supposed to protect Germany, but they're getting their energy from Russia. Explain that. And it can't be explained. You know that. So this clip comes from Newsweek Media Group, and it basically shows way back when Trump was in power that they were trying to get Germany to stop the Russia pipeline and getting all this oil and gas from Russia. Now, let's continue on with political dominance. The absence of Angela Merkel and her coalition's political leadership in Europe has allowed the U.S. to fill the gap, for example, forcing Germany to cut off Russian oil and gas supply. European political leaders will find it hard to oppose the U.S. Now, Nord Stream 2 was meant to deliver as much as 70% of Germany's gas needs. Also remember that Germany was under pressure internally and they exited nuclear power in 2011 and coal-fired power plants in 2019. It's really kind of a, a multiple disaster for Germany and a weakening not only politically but also based upon energy. And here we can see, I was just looking at a quote from Leonard Birnbaum, the CEO of Germany's biggest gas and electricity provider, E. On, he said, it is utopian to believe that Russian gas can be completely replaced from one day to the next by other sources. Now let's talk about cultural dominance. We just looked at political dominance and before that military dominance. 
And one of the things that I find fascinating is that basically the 2015 Syrian refugee crisis saw nearly 1.3 million people arrive in Europe to request asylum. Now you can go and get the download of this PowerPoint that I'm presenting. This is page 14 of it, and it shows the level of asylum seekers going into Europe. 1.3 million is massive. It's the most in a single year since World War II. They weren't just Syrians, they were also Afghans and Nigerians and others. This was 2015. And no matter how you look at it, I would argue that a influx of refugees into any country will cause a cultural disruption. And of those asylum seekers from the Syrian crisis, refugees came from wars in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Somalia. 51% of these people went to Germany. So there's a cultural transformation that that causes. 10% went to France, 9% went to Italy, 7% went to Sweden. But the reason why I'm talking about the Syrian crisis in 2015 and the 1.3 million refugees is that since this February 2022, more than 11 million Ukrainians have entered the European Union. And I'm looking at a, an excellent chart also by Al Jazeera's and DW.com, and it basically shows where these people are going. And we can see, for instance, 2.3 million of those people went into Poland. And basically, these Ukrainian refugees, 29% of them went to Germany, Czech Republic, 14%, and Bulgaria, 10%. The main thing that I see about this that's interesting is that you're not talking about 1.5 million or 1.3 million like we saw in the Syrian crisis. We're seeing 11 million. Now, you could say that out of those 11 million, many would go back once the war has gone down. So maybe we end up with two or three or four million permanent refugees or political asylum seekers in Europe. That causes disruption. Whether you're for or against accepting asylum seekers or immigration, the fact is, is that it causes disruption. Now let's talk about financial dominance. So what we can see, I've created a little chart. This is on page 18 of the download that I have on the website. All you have to do is go to myworstinvestmentever.com and just click on get the download and you can get it. And this basically looks at the GDP of the biggest countries in the world. And I break it into three groups, Americas, Asia, and Europe. So if we look at this table, what we can see is that the U.S. is about 24% of the total amount of GDP. And we can see that China is about 19% of total global GDP. So in the Americas and in Asia, we have dominant players, the US and China. But in Europe, what we can see is that German GDP is only 4% of the world's total. UK is about 3.2, France is 2.8, and Italy is about 2.0. So unlike the Americas and Asia, no country is a dominant force in Europe from an economic perspective. Merkel's strong leadership is gone with nothing to replace it. So Germany's economy is also being weakened. So right now, these numbers are from prior years, but already Germany economy has been hit 
hard. So from a financial dominance perspective, there is no dominant force in Europe as opposed to the US and China. And this makes Europe ripe for the taking for the US. Now, SWIFT system is a instant messaging system that the banks use. It was founded in 1973 and connects 11,000 banks and organizations in over 200 countries. And it notifies users when payments are transferred and received. Now, the US forced other SWIFT members to exclude Russia. And they did this also against Iran in the past, where even if a European country wanted to transact with, with Iran, they could not. And this is where I say that it's pretty much impossible for any European country to escape the financial clutches of the US. Now, there is the cross-border interbank payment systems that has been set up in 2015 as a settlement and payment clearing system for transactions that use the Chinese yuan currency. It's supervised by China's central bank and SWIFT is a messaging system, but this CHIPS is a settlement system for renminbi transactions that also offers some communications. And the point is, is that US is pushing Russia and other non-aligned countries into the arms of the Chinese. So let's look at energy dominance. China, US, and India are the top three energy consumers. China consumes about 26% of the world's energy, US 16%, India 6%, Russia 5%, and Japan 3%. This is an excellent chart provided by BT Statistical Review of World Energy. This is on page 22 of the download. Feel free to get it. Just go to myworstinvestmentever.com and go to the download button. But I just wanted to look at consumption first, and we can see Asia Pacific is number one, North America is number two, and then there's Europe. And now what I want to look at is consumption from another angle. Now, I want to look at consumption from fossil fuels, nuclear, hydro, and renewable. So 82% of the world energy consumption comes from fossil fuels. Europe is at 71%, so they're already down a lot on fossil fuel consumption. This is as of 2021. The reason why Europe is down on fossil fuels, fossil fuels meaning oil and gas, and the like, is that they also have a large amount of nuclear. In fact, some countries in Europe look pretty interesting. What we can see is Norway has only 27% of its energy coming from fossil fuels, Sweden 29%, Finland and Switzerland and France and Brazil outside of the Euro. But in the Euro area, Finland, Switzerland and France each have about 50% coming from, from fossil fuels. So they're already down considerably. And renewables are mainly wind and solar. So the US just knocked out one of its main competitors. So the prior chart that I showed, which also came from the BP Statistical Review of World Energy, this is on page 23. Basically, what it showed is that the world is still heavily reliant on fossil fuels at 82% of total consumption. But if we then look at, okay, what countries are producing the most output of oil and gas, let's say the main fossil fuels? Well, the first country is US. 18.5% of total output of oil and gas, according to, again, the BP Statistical Review of World Energy, was coming from the US. And Russia and Saudi Arabia were the second at 12% or so. It was followed by Canada at 6%, Iraq at 4.6%, China at 44 and down the line. So 
what's interesting here is that the U.S. has just knocked out Russia. That's 12.2% of total output. And now Europe will have to get their oil either from the U.S. or Saudi Arabia. Also, the U.S. has previously knocked out Iran, where the European Union wanted to get a deal with Iran. And in the end, the U.S. backed out, particularly Trump, out of the nuclear deal that Obama did. And as a result, also, they stopped the Europeans from bringing in oil. So this energy dominance. Now, I, I want to show this map. Again, if you're listening on the podcast and you want to get this, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com, get the download button that you'll see on the front page. And this is page 25. And what this shows is incredible. Well, of course, the first thing it shows is we're looking at a map of Europe and Russia. And what we can see from this is that the oil and gas fields in the center of Russia are massive. And we can see that the pipelines that are going from those oil and gas structures in Russia basically are going all throughout Europe. And I like to basically say that Russia is the heart of European energy source. In fact, I even overlaid a picture of a human body with a heart and the arteries and veins throughout. In particular, this just looks exactly like a heart and then feeding this oil and gas down to the legs of Europe. There's no denying that Russia is the closest and most efficient source for Europe to depend on. So the cutting off of the Russian gas supply to Europe is no small thing. It's an amazing accomplishment by the U.S. in dominating Europe. And the beautiful thing about what the U.S. did in this case is they did it without a shot fired and they had the Europeans cut it off themselves. Now, the U.S. has forced Europe to ban oil and gas imports from Iran since 2018 U.S. sanctions. Germany succumbed to pressure to cut off the Nord Stream 2 project. In fact, in February of 2022, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz halted the approval process of Nord Stream 2. He said, we'll reassess the certification of the pipeline, which has been built, but has not yet started operating. Now, we know what happened with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. It was blown up. Well, we have enough information from Donald Trump, from Joe Biden, from Victoria Nuland and others to say that it was definitely in the interests of America to destroy Nord Stream 2. Now, the U.S. has started to substitute about 10% of Russian gas supply to Europe. And I show a, a map, again, this is coming from Al Jazeera's, a good map, showing where the leaks happened and the explosion and damage happened to Nord Stream 2. Of course, U.S. says Russia did it. And Russia said that UK, acting on behalf of the Americans, did it. But this is what I find interesting. You know, there's so much talk about ESG and reducing pollution and all this. Well, listen to this. Andrew Baxter, director of energy transition at the Environmental Defense Fund, estimated that 115,000 tons of methane was released when this pipeline, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, was destroyed. And that was the impact was equivalent to the annual carbon emissions from 2 million cars. And where is the outrage? U.S. environmental activists should be going out of control to find out who did this, who just destroyed our environment. But instead, it's crickets. Hmm, 
That's already some kind of indicator about who did this anyways. Now, I want to look at another fascinating chart, and this is actually a, a map. Again, this is on page 28. Feel free to go to my worst investment ever and download the PowerPoint that I'm talking about. But this is called the Production Indicator Map 2019, and it was done by the International Association of Oil and Gas Producers. And it's important to understand that a production indicator above 100% demonstrates the ability to export and below 100% shows the need to import. So now I'm looking at this map. And if we look at the Commonwealth of Independent States, let's call that Russia and its affiliated countries, they have a ratio, a production indicator of 353 for oil and 143 for gas. Meaning if it's above 100, it means it is a ma has major capacity to export. That's Russia, 353% for oil and 143% for gas. Now, if we look at the Middle East, what we can see is pretty much the same story. 330% is their production indicator, which means they have a huge capacity to export. Their production indicator for gas is about 124%, so a good amount of potential for exporting. But now let's look at the production indicator as as created by the International Association of Oil and Gas Producers. This is 2019, and it shows North America's production indicator for oil is about 91%, meaning the U.S. needs to import a small amount of oil. And as far as gas is concerned, it's at 103 And so U.S. is not geared up to be a major exporter of oil and gas. Now, the Republicans have taken over as I speak. I'm publishing this on the 13th of January. So it has been the case that the Republicans have taken over and it may be that they fire up this. But I would say at this point, the idea that the U.S. is going to replace Russian oil and gas, well, that's not going to be able to be enough for Europe because Europe's production indicator is 23% for oil and 46% for gas, meaning they must import a huge amount of oil and gas, almost all of the oil that they consume and 50% of the gas they consume. They are not a producer. So what have you learned in this whole discussion? First, almost all European countries join NATO and the US controls NATO. The weakening of Germany leaves Europe with no dominant political power to challenge the US. The US-Russia showdown is destabilizing Europe through immigration and all EU countries exist within the US dollar framework and are unable to exit it. The US cut the flow of Russian oil and gas, which weakens Europe. The bottom line is the United States won World War 2.5. Europe willingly lost without a drop of blood being spilt. So I just want to wrap up by saying, listeners, that's a wrap on more research to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. If you have not yet joined that mission, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join my weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter to reduce risk in your life. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.